0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Hey everybody, we're starting a new series today called Sand and Stars and the central figure in our series that we're going to be doing. We're talking about a guy named Abraham. I don't know if you've ever heard of Abraham. Not this Abraham. You are cool, but you're not this cool. You didn't make the Bible, just so you know. Sorry, buddy. But anyway, we're talking about a guy named Abraham. I don't want you confused as we're looking in scripture. As we're reading in scripture today, and actually for many weeks, we're going to come across a guy named Abram. Abram is Abraham. Abram will later have his name changed by God to Abraham. It'll happen for us near the end of our series. It happens later in the story for him. Do not be confused and think, oh, Abram must be his brother or his cousin or his uncle or something. No, no, no. Abram is Abraham. Matter of fact, I might even get confused and just substitute the names because we're talking about one guy. We're on this side of history. So to kind of give you a point of reference, Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago about 2000 years before Jesus. So if you can think about it that way, Abraham, Jesus, us kind of an equal divide is where this goes. And Abraham was way back at the beginning. Actually, we're going to see his story in Genesis 12. I mean, there's not a lot in the first 11 chapters. If you've ever read it, God gets a couple of chapters where he's the only character making everything. God's kind of cool, you know? <laughs> and so he's the star for a little bit. Then these Adam and Eve people show up and uh, then they mess everything up. And we have a few generations of people. Uh, you won't remember remember them you won't know their names they're not really uh, famous characters matter of fact from adam to abraham is 19 generations only 19 generations so that makes adam abraham's great 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 17 great-grandfather that's where he is and there's only one person one name that you're even going to come close to recognizing out of those 19 generations that's a guy named noah If you remember the story of Noah, so we've got Adam, Adam messes up. Humanity gets worse and worse and worse. God says, I'm done with that. He floods the earth. Noah is the person who carries on the human race. After Noah, things continue to get rough. Here's the issue. At this point in human history, 4,000 years ago, nobody knows who God is. You've got to think about that. Maybe that's weird for us to realize. Like, human history, what do you mean they don't know who God is? We've always known who God is. We just pick up our Bible and read our Bible or go to church. They didn't have a Bible. The Bible was yet to be written. There was nothing for Abraham to know. And so at this point in history, we have a God in heaven who has created mankind, his prized creation. His creation doesn't really know anything about him or who he is. Adam used to know. Adam, the Bible tells us, could walk in the garden in the cool of the day with with God at his side. And it would be like you and me taking a walk. But then that was lost. Adam and Eve lost everything and they were thrown out of the garden. And, And God's relationship with mankind continued to spiral down as man became more and more sinful and they became more and more separated. And so we're picking up the story at this point that God says, okay, time to do something. It is time for my creation to know who I am. And so I am going to begin to reveal myself through a person. I'm going to start with this one guy. I'm going to tell him who I am, talk to him about who, and and I'm going to make a people out out of him where I reveal myself. That's, that's who Adam is. And so at this point in Adam, Abraham, that's who Abraham is, sorry. And so at this point in Abraham's life, as, as we're picking up the story, God is coming to Abraham to say, hey, I got something for you. I've got a dream. I'm going to put a dream in your heart. I have a promise. It's going to feel like a dream in your heart. God comes in and dreams something for him that's greater than he could ever have dreamed for himself. He would have never thought of the greatness for himself that God had planned for him. So as we start this series, and it's all about getting the dream that God has for you, whatever this promise is that God's going to put into your heart. The first question is, is there anybody here who, you don't have to raise your hands for this, but does anybody here feel like God has given them a dream in their heart? And then is there anybody here who feels like there's something in the way that's keeping them from living out that dream? Or maybe there's somebody here who says, I really wish God would put a dream in my heart. So I'm hoping that wherever you are, whichever group you're in, that that you can say yes to one of those so there is something in this series that will help draw you closer to God, For me, the dream for me began when I was 16. I had a plan for my life. My plan was to be a doctor because I wanted to be rich. And that was the way I thought that would work. I'd be a doctor and be rich. And so that was my plan. But God gave me a different dream for my life. And the dream is literally what I'm doing now. God gave me this idea that I could be a leader among his spiritual family in the church world. God gave me this idea that I could speak and I could communicate who he is and help people come closer to him. And that was just a really cool dream for me at the moment. And it changed everything, right? I mean, come on, anybody ever had an opportunity like that? So what we're going to do in this series is hopefully help you discover the dream that God has for you and then to live that. Anybody ever heard somebody say the phrase like I'm living the dream? Come on y'all heard of that? You know who says they're living the dream? Old people. <laughs> I'm serious. Let me tell you why. Cuz first of all, they have their problems have moved out. <laughs> their problems have their own homes. They now have grandchildren. Grandchildren are a delight. And when they're not, you send them back to your problems. (laughs) You never meet somebody who is young with four kids at home and working a day job going, I'm living the dream. No. When they say I'm living the dream, what they mean is my problems have moved out and I've got plenty of money. Life is good, right? Come on. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? I want you to know something though. I am living the dream. I am living the dream, but it's not the dream of my problems. My problems are still at home, but, but, and, and money is not that great, <laughs> but I'm still living the dream, and it's the dream God put in my heart. That's what we're going to look at. So, hey, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. If not, it's all going to be on the screen right here behind, beside us. But again, we're picking up the story at the beginning of Abraham and God having a conversation. Here we are. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Is there anybody in here that wants to like get that promise for their life right there? Especially when you're driving, (laughs) like, come on. God, they cut me off. I need you to smite them right now, curse you. Don't do that, by the way. The Bible actually says do the opposite of that. But uh, trust me, if you drive around Columbia long enough, you're going to be praying this verse. So anyway, back, back to something spiritual. Let's get back on track here. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this is it. This is it. This is the first time that God says to, to all of human history, this is how I'm going to make myself known. We had Adam and Eve. We talked about that. They screwed it up. They lost it. And so now the problem is all of God's creation is not created equal. The animals don't have something you and I have. The plants don't have something you and I have. The mountains and their majesty don't have something you and I have. What we have, we're his image bearers. We're created to reflect God's nature upon the earth. We've got something special. And God says, so I need you to know who I am because if you know who I am, you'll figure out who you are because you'll never know who you are until you know who I am and know why I created you. And so I'm gonna take this guy, Abraham, and out of Abraham, I'm gonna create my people. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will bless them because they will always obey me and everything's gonna go great for them. Turns out Adam and Eve were not the only ones that screw up the plan, you know what I'm saying? And so at this point though, God is saying, let me reveal myself to them. And if you wonder, why are we calling this series Sand and Stars? Why are we calling it Sand and Stars? Because multiple times in scripture, when God is telling Abraham what he's gonna do, or when Abraham is reflecting upon what God has said to him, so multiple places it shows up, and it says, as numerable as the stars, as numerous as the stars, and I like this one: "As innumerable as the sand." Like, good luck counting that stuff. As numerous as the stars, as innumerable as the sand, so shall your descendants be. You will be the father of nations. It's all going to come from you. This is what I'm going to do. So we're calling this series, "Send and Stars. We're going to come back to this promise that God makes to Abraham all throughout the series. But today, we're, we're just going to focus on this one thing, the very first thing that God ever says to Abraham. I just want you to imagine if the first thing God ever said to you, like your, hello, I am God, and the next word, go. Y'all realize that's how the conversation began. I think put that verse back up and y'all can look at that there. He just said, go. Starts out with go. Why did he say go? Because I want you to know this. God's plan for you is never where you are. Now, when I wrote this message this week, I had to think about that statement. Because one thing you shouldn't use a lot of when you're preaching is never and always. Because somebody out there is always going to come up to you in the hallway afterwards and say, now, pastor, I'm the exception to that. Somebody's always going to do it. But, but I, I thought about it, because when I first wrote it, I said, God's plan for you is almost always something else. God's plan is almost never where you are. However, you know, looking at those different things, and I thought about it. And I looked at everybody I knew in Scripture. And, and, and I see no example in Scripture where ever anybody ever lived God's plan for them where they were the day that he met them there's always a move. It's some kind of a move. That move just might be different. What we see here with Abraham actually is a couple of different kinds of moves. He's going to do all three of the types of moves that God could take you through. The first one is a geographical move. Did you notice the first thing that he said is, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. It's going to be a geographical move. Something is going to change. I've got something for you there that you cannot get here. Matter of fact, Abraham is going to show up there. And when he does, God's going to say this land, literally this dirt, this spot on planet earth is what I'm going to give to your offspring. And it's what is still being fought over today is the fulfillment of that promise 4,000 years later, right? Right? There have been three times in my life that God has spoken to me and said, go geographically, go geographically. And it started after college because before college, you don't need to know where to go. You just need to follow your parents, right? That's what you do. Your parents, every day after school, where do you go? You go home. That's where mom and daddy lives. You know why you go home? Because mom and daddy pays for the phone, the internet, and your food. You're not going anywhere else. If they go on vacation, you go with them because they buy your tickets to Disney World. But you don't want to stay at Disney World because it gets incredibly expensive. So you always come back home from vacation with your mom and your daddy. Matter of fact, the only person who doesn't go home after vacation with mom and daddy is Jesus. When he was 12, he kind of hung out and, and, and stayed behind. But everybody else, we just go where our parents go. And then when it comes time to go to college, you don't really, you know, take take too much thought about that. You simply want to go somewhere that's cheap, has a good degree, and is close to home. Unless, of course, you don't really like your parents, then it's cheap, a good degree, and far from home. But we'll do a series on or healing for the family another day. So, right, we'll just move on. But after after college for me was the first time that I felt God send me for my life for a special purpose. And right before my senior year of college in the summer, I'd gone on a two-week missions trip to Romania. And so when I got back from that, God, God was telling me, go. And here's how this happened. I woke up one morning and it was dark. Nobody else was up. I couldn't sleep. And so I go out on a balcony of my hotel room and I'm just looking out over the fields. It was weird. This like multi-story hotel was in the middle of a field. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, I was looking out and these people were all coming. As the sun was coming up, these people were all coming out to work. And these people were carrying like these big old sickles, you know, like they were, this was weird because this was over 20 years ago that it happened. And I remember when it happened then that it looked like it was 50 years ago. As I looked out in the field, like we've got lawnmowers and tractors and, and here it is like it's the nineties and people were coming to work with sickles. They were going to reap this harvest in this field all day long with just doing this. And I was just watching these people and God said, I want you to come back and tell these people about me. It was the first time that God told me to go somewhere geographically for a reason. I'd love to tell you that God called me there to do the most incredible ministry. Churches were planted, people were saved, and, all, and, and there were churches planted and, and stuff did happen. But, but I think the main reason God called me there is because my wife is Romanian. I met my wife, I married her, my children are half Romanian. If I didn't go when God said go, my, my family right now would be completely different. My life would look very, very different. And then when I was coming home from living in Romania, God told me to go to North Carolina and, and, and work with a pastor there who was starting the church. You may say, how does God speak like that? How do you hear from God? Is that just a pastor trick? Well, we're going to do a series on hearing God's voice after next Easter. So I'm not kidding. Just so you know, that was advanced notice for those of you that like to plan your vacations better next year. So anyway, if you want to hear God's voice, the weeks following Easter, five-part series. There's your long, long long-ahead commercial. Anyway, for now, you know, God speaks sometimes to our circumstances. So when I was in Romania, I met a pastor, and God said to me, you'll work with this man. I thought it was the craziest thought that I'd ever had. But when I did move to America, the only place that I could get a job doing what I did was teaching in the same city where he was starting a church. And it turns out God did call me to work with that man. And what happened as a result is some of the the longest lasting, most influential relationships in our lives. They, he became a pastor to us, to me and my wife, and, and we developed so many friendships and relationships. People I still do ministry with today. People, I, I was just at a missions conference this week with some of those people that I met then. And so it was a foundational season in my life. And, and then when that foundation was, was built to a point, God was done with that. He, the third and final move, he, he told me to come here to help start this church. Come to Columbia, South Carolina. And every time that I've ever been, I've never wanted to live wherever God told me to go. I actually, I don't understand those of you that get to live where you want. I meet people. They come to me and go, Pastor, we've loved being a part of your church, but we're moving to the beach because we've always wanted to live at the beach. And I thought, Who gets to live where they want? What is want? What kind of word is that? Don't you like obey God? You just do what God says. Who gets to live where they want? When I lived in North Carolina, I lived in golf world. The U.S. Open is there every few years. It's Pinehurst. They've got like 60 something golf courses in one county, which means there's no real estate for the rest of us people that don't love golf. We live a little sliver like this. And people are like, oh, you live in, in, in Pinehurst. That's beautiful. Isn't it an amazing place to live? No, it's not an amazing place to live. I don't like golf. I hate golf. I don't play golf. Somebody made me play golf one time. It's the only time I ever had to yell, four, but it was for the fairway beside me, not the one I was playing on. True story. So that's my golf experience. And why would I want to live somewhere everybody loves something I hate? And so then I move here to Columbia and suddenly that place looks beautiful. (laughs) I mean, think about it. If you are from Columbia, if not, if you've moved here, you've had this experience. My friend Kelly was in the first service. He's got a, a saying about Columbia. Live in Columbia, close to everywhere you want to be. Oh, uh, There you go. You're starting to get it, don't you? Come on. Have you ever told your friends why they should live in Columbia? It, it's never got anything to do with Columbia. It is always "Oh, you should live here. It's two hours from the beach. It's two hours from the mountains. It's two hours from Charleston couple of great airports. I mean, we're close to Charlotte and Atlanta. We got three interstates so you can get anywhere you want to be fast. (laughs) Yeah. And people actually like choose where they want to live. What is that all about? Friend of mine, actually here in the church, he just got offered a great job in Texas. Would have been a career maker is what he called it. But as he prayed about it, God told him, no, don't move. I've called you here. And he's not a pastor. You know, a lot of us think pastors get called to live in a place because of their church. Have you ever realized God might call you to live somewhere for your spiritual family? I mean, think about it. We, we move for jobs. We move for jobs to get paid even when our kids hate the idea of moving. So we're definitely not moving for family. We're just moving for money. We'll move for money. Have we ever thought about moving because God just said to move and God said to live there? Maybe it's just your next door neighbor. Maybe the only thing God wants for you is your next door neighbor needs to go to heaven and you're the one that's got what they need. Geographical. Sometimes it's geographical. A second kind of move that God may make us do is an environmental move. You see, where we're raised, where we're born, where we live, whatever it's been like, that that place it's an environment. It has a culture, and it has influences. And these cultures, that these thoughts and these processes and these things that are in our lives can, can either help us or stop us from what God is calling us to do. There are so many things in our culture that will impact whether or not we can live out God's plan for our life. He'll drop a dream into your heart, but that dream can't be carried out without a culture change sometimes. For Abraham, I want you to think about this. Abraham grew up, he was born in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's modern day Iraq. At the time it was Babylonia. And so they had a God that was a moon God. Nana was the moon God. And they had ziggurats built to Nana. Okay, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But anyway, I didn't make it up. And so if you could imagine if Abraham were still living in Ur of the Chaldeans and God begins to speak to him, he might have thought, oh, that's Nana. And God wanted him to understand, I'm somebody different. I'm a God that nobody else is worshiping here on earth. I'm going to reveal something different to you. And so actually, Abraham wasn't living in Ur when we met him. He had already begun a journey. His father had brought him as far as a city called Haran. It was in Mesopotamia. Middle school social studies coming back right now, triggering some of you. I see the tremors. Okay, sorry about that. And so in Haran, they had seven primary gods, although they had many gods. They had seven primary gods, and they built statues to all of these gods and they believed these gods would come down and inhabit these statues. They laid food out in front of the statues and every statue had servants. (laughs) True story, right? And so imagine if Abraham thinks this is the idea of God. So God needs to get him out of that culture and out of that environment to begin to reveal a completely new idea of who he is. And so God calls him to go somewhere else. Now, some of you at this point may be logical and say, wait a minute, Jimmy, I see a flaw in what you just preached because God told him to go to Canaan and Canaan, well, that was a land of many, many gods as well. So how does that change anything? You're right, Canaan has a land of many, many gods. What changes is what he learned on the journey. How many of you know that what you've learned about God has always been in a very hard journey? It's been when God, even if it wasn't geographical, but if God called you to leave something and go to something else, somewhere along the way, the faith test, the obedience test, whatever it is you've gone through, you discover something about God. By the time Abraham got to Canaan, he knew something about the God that was talking to him that, that was so different from the gods he had ever seen to the God that he knew. God did the same thing for me in my life. When, when he called me to move geographically, it was also because he was calling me to move environmentally environmentally. You see, I was raised here in the Bible Belt. This is where I'm from, South Carolina. Wanted to get away from South Carolina. Do I have any born and bred South Carolinians that knows this place is like a yo-yo? Like you can try as hard as you want. You can run and then you end up right back here. No matter, I mean, like, you're like, come on, God, what is up with this place? But here's the thing. So I grew up here. And uh, I make fun of it like it's a bad place, just so you know, it's a wonderful place to live, I, and I've, I've come, finally come to that, 46, finally realized it's a great place to live, it really is, and I mean that with all my heart. But but I needed to get out of here for a season, because when I was a teenager at 16 years old, as I told you earlier, that's when God put a dream in my heart to do this. But if I tried to do this with what I knew at that time, with the culture that was around me, I, I don't think I could do this very well, because let me explain, and, and I might hurt somebody's feelings, but I'm just going to tell you what I grew up with and what, what, What was true at the time, and if you grew up here in the Bible Belt, you're going to relate to this. How are you right with God in the Bible Belt? When I was growing up, the concept was to be right with God in the Bible Belt is you go to church, and if you go to church without missing many Sundays a year, we'll give you one or two off if you're sick. If you go on vacation, you still have to go, and I'm telling you a true story. We'd go to Myrtle Beach on vacation, and i have to take a coat and a tie. Because, first of all, that's how you go to church, right? You go dressed up. And if you're on vacation, God's still watching. You're nodding your head. I'm gonna go with you because like you're into what I'm saying here, man. I appreciate that. And so when you're on vacation, you're even going to church. So if you just go to church every week and you're, you're a pretty good person, you get like a passing grade. You get a D. Like you're, you're, you're gonna get in the gates of heaven. You may not get many more steps, but you're getting in. That's Bible Belt theology right there. Now, if a D is not good enough for you and you want like a C or a B, maybe even an A minus, if you wanna work it up, here's a couple other things that the Bible Belt teaches you. You make sure that you don't cuss cussing is a bad thing, and you make sure that you don't drink, and you make sure that you don't get a tattoo, and uh, pretty much that's the A plus of Bible Belt theology right there. Now, here's the thing. What God has called me to do is to help people think of who he truly is and to relate to him in a, in a way that is biblical, and so one of the things I had to do that I couldn't do here, it, it, times have changed, but this was when I was growing up. I didn't know that atheists were like a real thing. I heard the word, But I'd never met one. Because in the Bible Belt, you're a Christian. You just are. Maybe it's because you don't want all of your Bible Belt friends trying to invite you to church. So you just tell them you go. (laughs) Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. But everybody in the Bible Belt's a Christian, even if they don't know what that means. And I needed exposure to different ways of thinking. God took me out of this culture so that I could come back and be effective in this culture. He took me to a place where people didn't believe in God. He took me to a place where people believed in God and didn't like him. He took me to a place where people didn't believe in the Bible just because their mama told them to. He took me halfway around the world and back, and as a result of that, I've learned so much about how people think and what they say about God and what they say about the Bible that has made me so much more effective to do the very thing he called me to do here. But I had to have an environment change to actually understand it. The third type of move God might call to you to in your life is a relational move. You see, one of the biggest hindrances to walking in what God has for you are the people with you. Plain and simple. I'm not going to talk anymore about that because that is so important. We're going to dedicate an entire part of this series to talking about the people in your life. They will either help you or they will hinder you. Those are your choices. They will either help you or hinder you. And sometimes God is going to call you to go from them. God told Abraham, go from your kindred. Get away from your kindred. Go from your father's house. Go away from the relationships you have. I have something new and something different for you. And teenagers, I'm not saying that all of your, your family's bad. That's not what that means, but that was something special for Abraham. He had to go away from some of those people. So let's pick up where we left off in the story. After God tells Abraham to go, he drops in the promise of revealing himself to humanity for the first time. And the next thing that we see is this in verse four. So Abram went as the Lord told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, that's it. God said, go, Abraham went. And I'm gonna tell you what I believe about living the dream that God puts in your heart about getting the promise God has for you. I believe the single most important factor is obedience to God. Hands down, the single most important factor. Now, somebody would probably want to argue with me, especially because we're talking about Abraham, and say, wait a minute, it was faith that was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Faith is a big deal. How can you say obedience is more important than faith? Well, first of all, because obedience is the expression of your faith. So I really put both together is what I did. You see, here's the thing. If there's a problem in your life, if there's a sin issue, God's going to say, change that. And if we obey, problem solved. If there's a person in your life that is hurting you, walking in the calling God has for you, God's going to say, leave that person. And if you obey, problem solved. If your faith needs to be proven out, God's going to call you to do something that will test your faith and prove your faith. We're going to read about that later in the series, not today. Again, problem solved. If we simply will learn to go when God says go, do when God says do, stop when God says stop, don't when God says don't. If we get that, you're going to walk in God's plan for your life because that's, <laughs> there's nothing left. If we could just, when God says go, Abram went. It's just that simple for us. I, I wanna share with you what is, uh, if you'll allow me, uh, just a little bit of reading into scripture here. It's because scripture is very vague. And I can't tell you that what I'm about to suggest actually happened, but, but I, I just want to throw something out there. I'll leave you to be the judge of it. Is that okay? So, so we're starting this story with Abraham in chapter 12, verse 1. If there's any nerds that want to go and check out what I'm talking about, go back just a few verses to the very end of chapter 11. And the guy that we meet at the very end of chapter 11 is Abraham's dad. His name was Terah. Now, here's the thing. We don't know why he did this. That's what I meant by I can only suggest because the Bible does not tell us why he did this. But Terah decided one day to pack up his entire family, including Abraham, and to move them all to Canaan, which is exactly the land that God is taking Abraham to, that God has shown up and said, if you will go to Canaan, this is the land I'm going to give you for your offspring. This is where God is taking Abraham. Isn't it like the strangest coincidence in the world that his dad had the same idea out of the blue to pack up the family and go to Canaan? Did maybe God speak to him, right? You know how we've heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Everybody with me, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What if that was ever supposed to be the God of Terah and Abraham? maybe, just maybe, because it is a really big coincidence for Terra to decide to pack up his entire world. It wasn't like a U-Haul. They had lots of flocks and lots of servants and lots of stuff. It was a big deal to move, even though they were nomadic people. Nomadic people would move from one river to the next, from one harvest to the next. For him to say, we're moving halfway across the known world to somewhere we've never been. Where'd you get that idea? So I'm just suggesting it seems like a really big coincidence or maybe God had started this a little earlier. What we do know from Scripture that I'm not suggesting, the Bible says, Terah got to a city in Mesopotamia named Haran and he settled. Now, I'm going to suggest that when he settled, this was not a good thing. Again, you'll have to read Scripture and come up with your own idea. Why? Why? did Terah tell Abraham and his whole family, we're gonna move from way over there to way over here, which by the way, God's gonna tell you to go there when I fail to get you there, but I'm gonna stop right here in this place called Haran. Why did he settle? Well, I think it had a little something to do with he lost a son, Abraham's brother. And you know, we kind of have a saying We're supposed to bury our parents, not our children. You ever heard that saying? Right? And so I think something happened with Terah when he lost his son, Haran. Did y'all catch that? When he comes to a town with the same name as his son, he loses sight of where he was headed and he settles. I'm just gonna suggest to you, again, it doesn't say God told him to do that and it doesn't say that's why he gave up. I'm gonna suggest to you he was incredibly disillusioned with what was happening in his life. And maybe like many of us, there are times where something doesn't go the way we want, like your son, Haran, dying. And you get a little upset with the God that's in charge of everything. And maybe at some point, you just stop doing what he says and you lose sight of the dream. I'm just gonna suggest, the end of chapter 11, you go read it and see how it reads to you because scripture's very vague and doesn't tell us that. My dad, and I had a conversation one day in my late high school years that uh, my family wouldn't even know. This is, it was such a private conversation. I've never really shared this with anybody else. With so my family's watching this, well, they're about to learn something about him. You see, when I was 16 is when God put the dream in my heart to do what I'm doing now. Prior to that dream, I was going to be a doctor because doctors were rich, and that was a, you know, a great life. You get to be rich and have a little bit of prestige. People are impressed when you say you're a doctor. They, oh, wow. Tell them you're a pastor. It's the quickest way to have them walk the other direction. <laughs> just, if you're on an airplane, you don't want the person beside you to talk to you. If they're, you. Just tell them you're a pastor. They will put their headphones on just like that. They're done with you. So... <laughs> You'd be lying, by the way. But anyway, that's okay. I don't have to lie. I'm I'm a pastor, and suddenly they're gone. Okay, but anyway, here's the point. I wanted prestige, and I wanted money. And that's what. so my dad was excited about that because he worked three jobs almost his entire life. He was always broke. He was always poor. And when I told him that I wanted to be a doctor, he was excited. And so for many years, he thought that I was going to break the family cycle, that I was not going to be poor. I was not going to have to work three jobs. My children would have vacations. He thought that things were going to be different. And so one day when I come home and say, I'm not going to be a doctor, I'm actually going to go to music school. <laughs> Y'all can tell how that went over. Now, here's the thing. I, I never had an intention of being a musician. Uh, it was simply this. if to, to, to be a pastor, I need to go to seminary, and that's a college and seminary. So why would I go to college and med school and residency and then seminary? It's like I'd be 70 by the time I got to do what I'm doing now. So might as well skip the whole med school part of this sort of thing. So I just simply thought to myself, what is the, I gotta get a degree in something. What is the easiest class I take? Well, it was not calculus, I'll assure you that. That's why I did not become a math teacher, it, but it was banned. I mean, banned is easy. Like just show up, play a little something. If you're not any good and you play wrong notes, all you gotta do every time you mess up is just look at the person beside you. <laughs> I mean there's like 80 people in the class. Nobody can tell who's actually making a mistake. So if every time you hear a wrong note you just look at them, the band director will think it's them too. You'll make an A in band. It's easy. So I made an A in band. Band was fun. We took the most trips. I thought, "I would love to do so." I got a degree in music. It was great. So my dad was very upset about this and we had a conversation where I had to explain, "I'm not going to music school to be a poor musician or even to be a musician. I'm just trying to get a degree. I feel like God's called me to be a pastor." And that's when God, uh, my dad shared with something with me that I, I'd never known. He said, I, I thought that God had called me to be a pastor. Mm. But he never had. And he had spent his life poor, broke, and working all the time. He's just very unhappy. He never smiled. And it wasn't because he was a mean, angry person. It was because he was just so unfulfilled. And he believed because he told me he said, what you see just working so hard and everything that goes wrong and just, life is just not easy. He said, this is God's punishment for me because I disobeyed. He believed it was God's wrath working out in his life on a practical basis. <clears throat> Disillusionment and regret are dream killers. Disillusionment and regret are dream killers. So my question for you is, when did your dream die? When did your dream die? When did you stop thinking and believing that you were going to do something amazing and instead you just started working for a paycheck and hoping for retirement? When did your dream die? Where did you take a right or a left on that journey and feel like it was taking a step the wrong direction from God? Disillusionment and regret are dream killers. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't really like the idea that I'm preaching this to you this morning. I would prefer to be preaching this Wednesday night to our youth. Got any youth in the house, any youth in here? Yep, come on. All right, quiet, not very excited about being youth apparently, but that's okay. <laughs> If I were preaching this on Wednesday night to the youth, I mean, they would be shouting, they'd be cheering, they'd be like, yeah, because this preach is amazing. God's got a good plan for your life. God's going to do something great through you. And you're like, yeah, I just need to pray and I need to seek God and choose a good college. good I'm going to have an amazing life. But I stand up on Sunday morning and preach that to all the adults and they're like, you're making me sad. I'm glad you can laugh at that because the reality is most of us think God's plan for our life is two decades back. And I asked my dad that day, I said, so why don't you? Why don't you become a pastor then? Why don't you fix this? And his answer was three words. Come on, say it with me because you already know. It's too late. I need you guys to hear me. It's never too late to obey God. It's never too late to obey God. If you obey God today, instead of 20 years ago, The results may look different. I cannot promise you that the results will look exactly like God intended at the beginning. But it's never too late to obey God, to get back onto the path that he has for you, to do what he's called you to do, whatever it is that he has for you. If it's being a pastor, if it's being a teacher, if it's starting a business, if it's starting a family, whatever it is that God has said do or don't or go or stay, whatever he spoke to you, it is never too late to do what God has for you. Never too late. How many of you have heard the saying, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? What's the answer? When's the best time to plant an oak tree? Nope. (laughs) Y'all are disqualified from answering. The best time to plant an oak tree is 20 years ago. You wanna sit in your backyard under the shade 20 years ago, plant that oak tree. But if you didn't, when's the second best time to plant an oak tree? Right now, not tomorrow, not after a week of prayer and fasting to make sure you're right about it. Not after another month, not after your kids graduate, not after you you become an empty nester, not after you get that amount of money that you think is the right amount of money to set you on your path. No, not after anything. Okay, if God said something 20 years ago and you did it, awesome. You planted your oak tree, we're happy for you. You've got a shady backyard. But for the rest of us, if you missed planting the oak tree 20 years ago, today is your best chance. It is never too late to obey God. It is never too late to obey God. God's got a good plan for your life. How many of you believe that? God's got a good plan for your life. It's not a plan. I did not say he's got a plan. God's got a good plan for your life. And so as we wrap up today and we send you off into the series, the whole series will be built upon two thoughts that that I need you to know. If you want to walk in God's good plan for your life, thought number one is you were made for it. You were made for it. Ephesians 2 says that we are his workmanship. And the word there explains it's not an assembly line process in heaven nor is it an assembly biological process on earth. No, 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 We are uniquely God's workmanship. He crafted each one of us is what that Greek fancy word stuff actually means behind the scenes there. That it's an individual process outside of time before time began. God crafted you to be you, to do what you were going to do. And elsewhere in scripture explains, that's why you were born when you were born and given the geographical boundaries you were given because you were made for something special. You were made for this not just this process going on. And I'm gonna tell you one of the biggest reasons that we do not live the dream that God put into our hearts is because we've adopted some really bad theology. Matter of fact, it's almost not even theology. You wouldn't even know that it is. Here's what I mean by that. Many of us live in what I call a movie set mentality. We believe that we are the result of cosmic biological processes only, that that's it. Mamas and daddies and mamas and daddies and mamas and daddies and whoop, here I am. That's kind of how that works, right? We're just this biological process. Cosmic forces have just created mankind and here we are and that's just kind of how this works. And there is no quicker way for you to believe that your life has no meaning than to realize you are nothing but a biological result. The Bible says that God crafted each one of us. Here's what I mean by the movie set mentality. We got anybody here who has already contributed to the billion dollar Avenger weekend? Anybody with me? Yeah, like you couldn't wait, right? Come on. Yeah, we got some cool people in the room. That's it, right? The rest of you missing out or you don't know what I'm talking about. You're really missing it. Okay, so here's the thing. We all go to see the Avengers because we want to see like Scarlett Johansson. We want to see Chris Evans. We want to see Robert Downey Jr., I mean, they're awesome, they're great actors, they're the stars of the movie. And, and, and I'd like to be Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I think with a little facial hair. I've got the attitude, there is no doubt. I have to repent of the smart aleckness and the cynical attitude and the telling people to shut up because I'm rich and smart. So I'm not rich, but I'd like to be rich and smart, like Robert Downey. You know what I'm saying? I mean Iron Man. I would, I could do that. I could really do that character. Hey, shut up, you! I'm Iron Man. Leave me alone. You know that kind of thing. We go to the movie to see Iron Man and 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 Captain America, and that's why they're there. And then you know there's this battle scene with like ten thousand people. You don't even know who they are. You don't care who they are. They're the extras. If one of the extras didn't show up that day, they put the costume on somebody else and just say, stand there and wave a sword until they chop your head off. Man, you don't matter. You're not important. Who matters is Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man matters. Captain America matters. Captain Marvel matters. You don't matter. You're an extra on the movie set because you are nothing but the result of a biological process. You are impinging upon God's plan. There are stars of the show. They're called pastors. There are important people that are missionaries. They're giving their lives for the gospel. The rest of you are extras and you're messing up what God's here to do. That's what we believe. I'm just a plumber. I'm just a this. I'm just a, I'm just a mom. I'm just a, I don't have any purpose. I'm not cool. I don't preach. God didn't, no, it's the biggest life in the pit of hell that God did not make you Mike. Just cause you're not standing up here on this stage. What I need you to know is God wrote you, made you, and he wrote you a script for your life. You are the star of your script. You are not an extra in my life just because I stand up here. You are not an extra just so you can show up and and be cool around somebody else. No, no, no. We've got to stop believing that God creates a few cool people to do a few cool things. We've got to stop believing what God made Abraham, God made Noah, God made the pastor, you know, God made Abraham Lincoln. The rest of us, were just biological things that happen along the way, and we just mess up everything. That scripture is very clear. We are his workmanship. That was not written to a small room of disciples. That was not written to a small group of people. That was written to everybody who would ever call God their father. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. And the second thing, it's more than just for you. It is more than just for you. We think that it's all about us but let's go back to what God told Abraham. He said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will have a beach house by Charleston and live a wonderful life. (laughs) But if you ask us what our end end goal is in life, but he said, no, no, I will bless you and make your name great for one reason, so that you will be a blessing. I'm gonna make you special so that you can make everybody else's life better. And then when they say, why? You say, because there's one true God who made me a blessing. Because when you are a blessing to everybody else, you show the world me. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, here's the thing. God has always, God currently is. And if the future comes out of what we see in scripture, God always will use his people to change the world. God says you will be blessed to be a blessing. You will have so that you can give. You will know so that you can tell. You're going to be mine so that you can share with everybody else how to be mine. God has called us to be the people who change the world. And so for some of us, we need to ask some questions like, what do I need to give? Who do I need to talk to? Where do I need to go? How do I need to serve? Every adverb you can come up with, put it into practice. What do you want from me? So I'm going to close with one very simple challenge or, or question for you today. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you want to live God's good plan for your life? How many of you want to live God's good plan for your life? but you can put your hands down because I'm gonna give you three choices for a challenge. I'm gonna challenge you this week, but you, you can only pick one of these because well you can only be in a place to choose one of them. You can't choose them all. You're not in a place to choose them all. The first one is this. For some of you, I'm gonna challenge you to believe. That's it. To believe God has a good plan for your life. Many of you walked in the door today and you get up every day with a movie set mentality. I don't matter. My life is useless. I'm only here because my mom and daddy put me here. This has nothing to do with God. It's the biggest lie, and it's the number one thing that is standing in your way of living God's good plan for your life is believing there is one. For many of you in this room, your number one challenge that I have for you this week is to believe God has a good plan for your life. Some of you would say, okay, what's the next group? That's not me. Okay, the second group, challenge for you, let go of your plan. Because when God gave me this dream, I was not without a dream. As I told you, I had a dream, to be wealthy, to be a doctor, to have lots of prestige. And I had to let go of that. I had to figure out, okay, you know what, God, I'm just going to let you take care of me. I don't know if Disney vacations will be there or not. I don't know, but I just know I'm going to do the dream you put in my heart instead of the dream of being rich. And that was the very specific, different stages of life. You have different struggles. That was my struggle at 16. I was growing up in a very poor family and I really only had one life goal and that was not to have a poor family. And God gave me a new dream. I had to let go of the old one. You cannot do your plan in God's plan. Now I've got somebody in the room you're going to be in group three because there are people in the room. They're going to say, okay, I didn't even need to hear today. I didn't need to hear this at all because I'm good, man. I heard that message 20 years ago when I was a youth. God's got a plan for my life. I know it. I'm living it. I'm doing it. God told me to be a teacher. I've been a teacher. Life has been great. God called me to be a doctor. I'm a doctor. Life is great. God called me to be a pastor. I'm, I'm going to school right now. I, I'm good, man. I know God's got a plan. I'm living the plan. I'm good. Well, I've got a challenge for you too. If you know God's got a plan for you and you know you're, you're living, it, you don't get off the hook. The challenge for you is very, very simple. Ask God, what's next? What else? You see, if you ever read the stories in the Bible, every famous story goes like this. You read all the cool stuff they do and it's all exciting and it's all exciting. And then it says, and Abraham lived until, and He died. And then we read about Moses and all the cool stories and the cool stories and the cool stories. And then it goes, and Moses lived until, fill in the blank, he died. And after Noah did the whole flood and the boat thing, 300 years. And he lived until, and he died. That must have been a boring 300 years. Like, dude, the only thing you've ever known for 300 years before you died. That's got to be like a really slow retirement. Hey, what's your best story? Oh, about 300 years ago. So that's my challenge for you. Are you in the season of writing the cool stories of your life? Or since you know you're living the plan God has for you, or are you just in the, and they lived until they died part? You can decide for yourself. Maybe you're good with the fact you did something awesome two decades ago. Maybe that's enough for you. It's you, your choice. But I'm gonna challenge you to say, okay, God, what else? What else? Let's imagine that the most famous thing I'm gonna be known for, the thing that my kids are gonna talk about, my grandkids are gonna talk about, let's let's assume that hasn't even happened yet. What else? And so I'm gonna close right now by praying for one group of people. I feel like God told me today to pray for the people who are like my dad. I think there's a large number of people in the room who feel like what God wanted for you was too far back that way. It's just too late. And you've just made too many mistakes. And if you tried to get back on that path, there's just no way to do it. That's what you think. I'm telling you, it's never too late to obey God. The blessings that come out of that, it may look different, but wow, the blessings that come out of that. No better way to end your life than getting back on what you've always wanted to do, what God put in your heart. I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much for everyone that is here today. I pray that the truth, that they are created by you for something special, that there are no movie set extras that everyone here is a star of their own script. I pray that that would sink deep into our hearts. And God, I pray right now for any of those who believe the condemnation of their mistakes, they believe the enemy's accusations of their past, that they took a wrong direction, that they didn't go when you said go, they didn't do when you said do. And now it's too late. I pray that that lie will be broken right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will give them hope for their future. I pray that you will give them faith that you can and you will restore what you want to do in their life. I pray that you will bring them back to live in the dream that you have for them. The final people I want to talk to today are those who have yet to surrender their life to Jesus. You may know, you may even believe that he died and rose again, but you've never interacted with that personally. The truth we all need to know here today is that there is no way to live God's good plan for you apart from God. His good plan does not exist outside of his kingdom. And the way that we come into his kingdom is the day that we make Jesus our King. If you've never done that personally, I wanna help you do that right now. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated, would you pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you'll fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it head over to gracelife.church slash resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.